when I was a teenager, a guest speaker came to the church I was going to. I was probably 13 or 14. Um, and he preached a series, like a revival series for the church. And almost 30 years later, I still remember his message. But I don't remember it because of how good it was. I remember it because of how terrible it was, you know. Um, sometimes you remember things because they're good. Sometimes you remember them because they weren't good. Uh, he proceeded to preach on Revelation chapter 9 and the gigantic scorpions described there. And so this was 45, 50 minutes of him talking about the horrifying ways that scorpions were going to sting and dismember people. Um, and at the end, he called us to repent, even if we had before. He's like, you need to come down to the front and repent or the scorpions of the apocalypse would get you. And uh, I remember, go ahead and switch to the giant scorpion picture. This is just what was in my vision as a kid. I think this is a terrible, like, D-list movie or something. But as a kid, I'm like, oh, my gosh, these terrible scorpions are going to come and get me. And it worked wonders. People lined up the front of the church. I'm sure they were, like, so excited to see the big response. We were all desperate to escape the giant scorpions. And I'm sure the speaker was quite pleased that his powerful message had had such an effect and there was a lot wrong with that message, okay? Like, I could spend a whole week talking about what was wrong that night. Um, but today, I just want to highlight one key mistake. He said, if you want to escape the scorpions of the apocalypse, come down to the front. And it's about that word apocalypse. Last week, we kicked off a new series about eschatology. Essentially, if you flip open to the Psalms, they're poems end. And the Bible is full of different genres of literature. Like if you flip open to the Psalms, they're poetry, they're songs. Uh, if you flip open to Paul's letters, the epistles, they're literally letters that he wrote. There's narratives in the Bible. And sometimes the eschatological, eschatological passages, I cannot say that word, are called apocalyptic literature. But the apocalypse shouldn't make us afraid because the apocalypse, at least in the way the Bible uses it, doesn't mean the end of the world. The apocalypse should make us obedient in the present because we can be hopeful about the future. So what comes into your mind when I say the word apocalypse? Yeah. Zombies. Yeah. Anything else? Left behind books. Sure. What else? Yes. A solar eclipse, like going to wipe out maybe all the technology or it's something. Yeah. Yes. Yes, the apocalypse villain. That's my next slide. That's exactly what I think of, too. Um, maybe images of disaster movies or perhaps the end of the world. Maybe for me, I could always think of giant scorpions because that, you know, that message is locked in my brain. Our English word apocalypse comes from a Greek word used in the Bible, but our modern English use of that word is completely different than how the biblical authors used it. In modern English, we think an apocalypse is the end of the world, or like Clayton said, the X-Men villain. Um, you always know a villain's bad news when he puts his initials on his belt buckle, you know? I'm like, that's so dumb, but so many villains are like that. Um, or I think of like a movie like Mad Max or I Am Legend or Zombieland or The Last of Us or The Road. We think of a series of cataclysmic events that mean the end of everything. But that's very different than how the word is used in the Bible. And if we're going to talk about um, eschatology, the theology of how things end, we need a healthy biblical definition of the apocalypse. So the Greek word used in the Bible is Apocalypsis, not that far from our English word apocalypse. 
In Greek, the word means to reveal something that was hidden, to give us a divine perspective on something. It means to unveil or uncover. The last book of the New Testament is called the book of Revelation because the first verse in Greek says, this is the apocalypse of Jesus. If we read it in English, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus. But in Greek, literally says, this is the apocalypse of Jesus. In the biblical text, apocalypse means revealing, hence our name for the book, Revelation. So, here's my uh, example of this. You're like, what's underneath the sheet, right? And you're like, what is that? But you pull it off, that's an apocalypse. Did I smash this statue? No. I unveiled it. I revealed it. That's how a biblical idea, the biblical definition of apocalypse is. It's a revealing. It's a taking off the veil, letting you see what's underneath. It's not a smashing it or destroying it. When you see something you couldn't see before, you're experiencing an apocalypse. Now, if you're still not convinced that this is how the biblical authors use the word apocalypse, and they use it so differently than we are, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verse 25. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, you might be like, I don't see the word apocalypse in there anywhere. I don't see any giant scorpions. I don't see the end of the world. Like, how is this about the apocalypse? That's because in English, the word apocalypse has been translated here as the word revealed. In the original text, in the Greek, the word apocalypse is used twice in this passage. Now, no end time speaker, if you go to like end of the world conference or something at some church, no one's going to turn to this passage and be like, here we are in an apocalyptic passage. But the word apocalypse is used twice here. In the biblical sense, this is an apocalyptic passage. Something hidden is being revealed. So let's look at the two times that the Greek word apocalypse is used here. I think I have them up on the next slide. Once in verse 25 and once in verse 27. In verse 25, it says, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have apocalypsed them to little children. That's how it reads in Greek. In verse 27, uh, he says, no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those to whom the Son chooses to apocalypse him. So you say, Alex, why do I care about this? Like, what's the big deal? Because the apocalypse isn't something to fear. Not to the biblical authors. We need an apocalypse. The apocalypse doesn't mean something's being destroyed or is coming to an end. It means our eyes are being opened to what we've been missing. It reveals something from God's perspective that we cannot see without divine aid. When we hear the word apocalypse, we shouldn't be like, giant scorpions are coming for me, zombies, you know, I'm afraid. No, we should instead be hopeful about the future, and it should give us confidence to be obedient in the present. I've worn glasses since the fourth grade. I think we have a picture of me up in the fourth grade. Yeah, Yeah. fourth grade, Alex. Those were my first pair of glasses right there. I was so, it looks like Harry Potter, yeah. Um... 
I remember in fourth grade, I sat in the back of the class, and I was always straining to see the board, and my teacher told my parents, hey, go get his eyes checked, he might need glasses. And I remember the first time I put my glasses on, I was like, this is what the world looks like? I just thought everybody saw the world in blurry images. I just thought everybody saw it as blurry. I was like, whoa, there's patterns, there's textures. I'm like, this is amazing. It was like suddenly the world looked completely different. My glasses changed my whole perspective on reality. That's what an apocalypse does. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of how you saw the world before the apocalypse. Because now you've seen something you can't unsee. Now you understand something you can't forget. An apocalypse doesn't ruin the world. It ruins the way you operated in the world before you saw the truth. So what apocalypse is Jesus talking about here in this passage? He's just been highlighting in the verse that we didn't read, the verses before this passage, about how he's going around to all these Israelite towns. He's doing all these miracles, and they're like, "Mm, so what? We don't care. He's like, they're completely unmoved. And he compares them to children who you play music for them, and they're like, I'm not going to dance. And then you tell them something sad, and they're like, I'm not going to cry. And it's like nothing stirs them. They're just bored. They are stuck. And he's saying, if only you could see, if only you could experience an apocalypse, I'm trying to show you God, everything would change. An apocalypse is not divine judgment. It's a divine gift. God opens our eyes. He pulls back the veil. He lets you see behind the counter. And Jesus says, those who see him for who he is are enjoying an apocalypse from God. It's a divine gift to recognize Jesus as more than a mere teacher, to see him as the divine human, the God-man, the Messiah. If you haven't had that, if you're like, man, I'm still just not sure about Jesus. I just don't know who he is. Like, I'm interested in what he's saying. I don't know. I just want to encourage you. If you're watching online or you're here this morning, just whisper a prayer inside your head. Jesus, would you give me an apocalypse to see you for who you really are? If there is no God, there is no danger in praying that because it literally will do nothing. But if there is a God, like I have been persuaded that Jesus is God, I think he will answer your request. He will open your eyes. He will let you see him for who he is. Perhaps not suddenly, perhaps not all at once, but I believe he will make himself known to you if you ask. And Jesus is telling us here that he is the clearest picture of God. He apocalypses what God is like and how God operates in the world. When Jesus claims to be the clearest revelation of what God is like, he's saying any vision, any idea, any theology we have that does not resemble Jesus is a mistaken identity for God. I've been playing around this week with uh, AI art, like kind of obsessively, Like, I've really had a lot of fun with it. So I asked it to paint a picture of Jesus. This is what it's made. That is the most white Jesus in the history of humanity, right? But that's exactly how a lot of us in uh, European culture have pictured Jesus, as being incredibly pale-skinned. Sometimes even our physical idea of Jesus needs an apocalypse. Sometimes our imaginations of what Jesus might say or do need an apocalypse. Most scholars agree that Jesus probably didn't look like this. Uh, He was probably much more a dark-skinned Arabian than a pale European. Um, Sometimes I hear people shout things about, like, God hates these people. And I'm like, but 
wasn't Jesus the clearest picture of God, the clearest revelation of God we have? And Jesus ate with sinners and was called a friend of sinners, so I'm not sure that would be God's position. Encountering Jesus and his teachings are supposed to be another apocalypse, like they reveal a new way of being human. After his death and resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, his students, his apprentices to go everywhere and to teach people to live and love like he did. His teachings are supposed to open our, open our eyes uh, to the way to get abundant life. It's supposed to show us that abundant life doesn't come through money or power or through fighting for our rights, but following Jesus in gentleness and humility, and that this somehow is the path to the best life. And that goes against everything that we're constantly told all week long. The best life doesn't lay down the road of conquering our enemies, but loving them. That's an apocalypse. That's not something that we naturally see. That's something Jesus has to show us. And Jesus uses this imagery in this passage of taking up his yoke. In the first century, it was an agrarian culture. It was a farming culture. And so the image of a yoke was commonly used. If you read other writings from the first century besides the Bible, you'll see where this image is used again and again. First century writers refer to the yoke of Roman law or the yoke of family responsibilities. Rabbis would sometimes call their teachings, their core teachings, uh, that their disciples needed to take on to become their students, a yoke. Jesus is saying living and loving like he did, it's a yoke, but it's not a burdensome yoke. It's not a burdensome life. He's directi- directly contrasting his invitation to become his disciples with the order of the Pharisees, the most popular uh, religious group in his day. There are 613 commands listed in the Hebrew Old Testament, um, what we call our Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. But the Pharisees added another 1,500 laws on top of that, so you wouldn't even get close to breaking the 613. Jesus, though, summed up the 613 laws like this in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says this, all the law and the prophets hang on these commands. That's another way of referring to the Hebrew scriptures, the law and the prophets. He says, you want to sum up all 613 commands? Love God, love your neighbor. Some of us need an apocalypse to remember that more religious busyness isn't what Jesus has invited us into. He didn't invite us to keep some moral roles so that we could have an easy, comfortable life. He invited us to become like him, to learn how to live and love like he did, and to be a part of ushering in his kingdom, to restore the relationship between God and man, between heaven and earth. The human story is headed for an apocalypse, but that shouldn't make us worried. That's not the world-ending wastelands of our Hollywood blockbuster. It's heading for a revealing where the kingdom of Jesus which we see glimpses of now will be known openly. It will no longer be veiled or hidden. We are heading to a revealing where the final pieces of the kingdom of darkness will be dismantled. It is heading for a revealing where we will no longer believe without sight. We will see Jesus will be with us. His kingdom will be here and now. We should be praying for a personal apocalypse, to have eyes to see what we're missing, to have God's eyes to see what we're going for through. We should be praying for a worldwide apocalypse. We need to see things like God does. We need him to lift the veil and reveal himself. We don't have to be afraid, though, with all this talk about apocalypses, because an apocalypse isn't an act of destruction. 
When God brings an apocalypse into our life or into our world, it is an act of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you give us eyes to see. And God, I pray that if there's anyone who, as so many times in my life, I've been filled with doubts or questions about where I am, I pray that you'll open their eyes to see what you're doing the things that don't make sense, the things where we're like, we prayed and you didn't answer, or why did this happen or that happen? God, I pray that you give us eyes to see. And God, for those who have never seen you, I pray that you will open their eyes to see that you are a good God and that you love them and that you want to invite them into a relationship with you. God, as we see the world move in so many scary and frightening ways, Will you just remind our hearts that you want to unveil your kingdom? That we don't need to be frightened about the future. We can be hopeful about the future. Because there's an apocalypse coming, but it's not an apocalypse of destruction, but of revealing. You're going to show us who you are. No one will be able to deny it because you're going to show up and show off. And God, may we look forward to that. Bring us a personal apocalypse. Bring us a global apocalypse. We want you to reunite heaven and earth. And we look forward to your return when you will rule and reign as king. A rule that will be so good it will work backwards to undo the worst moments of our story. And I pray all this like I believe Jesus Christ would.